This is Mythogenist. I'm Mary, and I record long-form conversations with some of the most interesting women you've never heard of. If you live in Alaska, you've probably heard of Meg. Meg Smith is a professional graphic designer and fine artist. Her paintings merge graphic design styles and realism in a unique style that celebrates the Alaskan landscapes that she loves. Meg lives in Girdwood and has called the Chugach Mountains of Alaska home for 10 years. In the past couple years, Meg has focused on flight training, bought a plane, and now explores backcountry flying in the same beautiful areas that she paints. In this conversation, we talk about writing your own story, creation as a private act of meditation, how to take the first step in any ambition, risk assessment, lifestyle design, spot landing an airplane in the backcountry, glacier landing, ski flying, kayaking, and much more. Meg's down-to-earth and positive energy is infectious, and I had to edit out a lot of chuckles and laughter so that you can hear her better. She was a delight to speak with. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Hey Meg, welcome to Mythogenist. Hey, how's it going? Good. What have you been up to the last couple of weeks? If I'm just going back in time from here, I just got back from a trip in the Prince William Sound that was at the back of College Fjord, where I flew um, my little airplane out to a lake that was surrounded by some of the biggest mountains in the Chugach, and uh, went on a little hut trip out there. It was it was pretty rad. Wow. So how, how long were you out there? Just a couple days? Uh, three days. Nice. And what uh, what kind of airplane do you fly? A Taylorcraft BC-12. It's a bush plane. Nice. And so how did you find this, this is like a, a little hut trip. How did you, how do you know where to go? I knew that there was a hut on Cog Hill Lake and I've been wanting to check it out and it's been really cold out there. So I was a little concerned about the small lake that the hut was on because there's a river that runs through it. Um, so I wasn't really sure if that ice would be frozen, but I'm fairly certain that the ice on the bigger lake right next to it was going to be frozen. And so it's next to an, uh, some amazing skiing and it was going to be clear out for three days. So I wanted to go on a trip. I love uh, seeing planes with the skis just attached to the outside of the wing strut. And the conditions were pretty good? Yeah, they were. It's a, It was slightly uh, wind affected up high, but the lowers were really good. So for people that aren't familiar, you're in Alaska. Um, so tell me a little bit about where you live and kind of where College Fjord is and the Chugach and just kind of situate us a little bit. I live in Girdwood, which is in South Central Alaska, and that is about 45 minutes east of Anchorage. It's down the Turnigan Arm, and the College Fjord is located in the Prince William Sound, which by airplane is about a 40-minute flight with no wind to Cockhill Lake, where I landed. It is one of the most beautiful places in Alaska. (laughs) I love it there. It has some of the biggest mountains in the Chugach, or it has the biggest mountains in the Chugach. And at the back of College Fjord is a mountain called Marcus Baker, which is the highest point in the Chugach Mountains. And the, it, it goes straight from the ocean right up to 13,000 feet, something like that. But it's so impressive, the amount of glaciers and the terrain back there is so rugged. And you have Yale and Harbor Glacier that run down into the ocean. And it's pretty amazing. So the lake that I camped on um, was right at the head of one of those glaciers. There's so much terrain back there, like you said. I mean, that's just like massive, massive peaks. Yeah, I know. It's insane. And it's great because there's a lot of little micro glaciers that you can land on, land a small airplane on. And it's been such an amazing year this year that the ice fields and all these pocket glaciers have uh, filled in and the crevasses are bridging and it just gives you a lot more opportunity for skiing out there. So how many horsepower is your T-Craft? So you're able to land on some of these glaciers and actually like turn around and get out of there? Yeah, I have a Continental 85 in my plane. That's the type of engine, and it has the O200 upgrade on it, and it makes it 
in my paperwork and from my mechanic, they say it's 115 horsepower. And the elevations that we've been landing at out there around 5,000 feet to, I'd say anywhere from like 4,000 to like a little higher in the 5,000 foot range. And you definitely lose performance. Um, it's, it's definitely noticeable from the thinner the air is, the less there is for the prop to move around. So your, your performance is just so much less. It takes a lot longer for you to get off of the ground. Because there's no mixture to lean in your plane, is there? There is, yeah. I do have a mixture. So okay. I got a new carburetor this year, and now I have a mixture. It's great. Yeah, wonderful. So um, for those who don't know much about aviation, can you do sort of a brief walkthrough of um, what a glacier landing is like? What are you looking for and, and kind of what are, what are you doing when you get out there? And feel free to t- give it in layman's terms. Not everyone's a, a pilot. Yeah. Okay. I'll do my best. <laughs> so when you're looking to land on a glacier, I and looking for a few things like how flat is the glacier? Are there open crevasses? Is it smooth? Uh, What is the incline or how flat is it? How long um, of a distance do I have to take off? So you can always land shorter than you can take off. So you really have to keep that in mind. And a lot of these uh, landings that I've been doing recently to go skiing, I've been landing on an uphill and landing about one-sixth of the length that it takes me to actually get off the ground. So that's been also been really interesting for me is when you're landing on a runway uh, in the summertime, you're coming down into a landing, and as you're descending, uh, you're just worried about landing flat and making a nice smooth landing. This has been a really interesting process for me where you're coming in for a landing and then all of a sudden you're landing uphill. So it just makes your descent path into how you need to maneuver the plane in order to not stall and like give it enough power also to keep going up the hill and not get stuck and turn around at the top. Um, so that you're at the top of the hill, turned around, and ready to take off whenever you leave. And so are you going with friends, or is there just you and one other person, or are there other pilots and other airplanes going out with you? The other pilots and other airplanes going out with me. I've been super lucky to have friends that have taken me under their wing and are showing me around and the land, and they have been teaching me just the ways of ski flying and what I need to be looking for and watching for. And they'll go and land in an area and tell me, you know, any information that they think that I should know. They're like, Hey Meg, you're going to love this one. No problem. Or, <laughs> this one's going to be a little spicy for you. <laughs> so it's been, it's been great to have those guys. I, I couldn't do it without them. And I go out with them every time I go out, I don't go out by myself. Usually, I usually at least have one other plane, or if I don't have another plane, I have a pilot in the right seat with me. I did just hear a story about someone who landed out in Chugach, general vicinity, different area, but um, I think it was maybe Grasshopper Valley or something like that, but they went skiing, went back to their plane, couldn't get it started, and it ended up being, um, after many attempts, a very expensive helicopter retrieval. The moral of the story being, you know, going with other people. And if it had just been him and a, and a friend in his plane, they would have been preparing for a pretty pre cold night out with their survival gear. Yeah, definitely. And that's another thing is you always need to have your survival gear in the back of your plane. What do you have in your survival kit out of curiosity? I always have um, a sleeping bag. So I have a negative 20 bag in the back of my plane. And if I take somebody else, I have another bag. And then in my, I have a dry bag in the back of my plane that stays in there that has, it varies from summer to winter. So right now I have 10 uh, mountain house style, like instant meals. Um, And I have my preheating setup, which is a MSR stove. I call it the blaster stove. I don't know what it's actually called. It's the most uh, badass one that you can get. It's super hot. And I got some 
duck, ducking or I don't, I don't actually even know what it's called. It's that fits over the stove and then goes up into the bottom of my cowling. And then with my engine blanket, I can wrap it around there and preheat my plane so that if it gets too cold for some reason while it was sitting on the glacier, or if I did have to stay the night, so then it would cool down completely, um, I'd be able to preheat it. And that's how I get it started too on these camping trips that I do. So that's always in my plane. Um, and with that stove, you can use um, Avgas or Cargas. So I can take fuel straight from my wing tanks and um, be able to use that stove. I have also a camping pot in there so that I'd be able to melt water and cook the food. I have a, bi- a two-person uh, bivy in there, headlamps, matches, lighters, duct tape. Because my plane is made out of fabric, so if something were to happen where I got a rip in the side of the plane or the fabric, I have Gorilla Tape where I would just actually tape my plane back together, which is kind of a crazy thought, but it works. You'd be amazed what has held some airplanes together. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Along with that, I have zip ties and um, a little toolkit that I... I keep that in the front and I think those are really the main, the main things. I ha- I also have a stove kit that is, I have an extra pump in there and the MSR, it's a cleaning kit and it's a repair kit so that if anything were to happen to my stove out there, I'd be able to fix it in the field. So what's your, your useful load in that plane? Like, can you often carry like uh, fuel bags and stuff with you and another person or what? Uh, Yeah. So my plane is a, it's a side by side. It's like a, it's a two person, uh, the pilot and a passenger. And some planes are tandem where there's one pilot, the pilot sits in the front and the passengers in the back. My plane is the pilot is on the left side and the passenger or a co-pilot is on the right side. And then I have a pretty big baggage compartment uh, behind me. So, and I have two wing tanks, which hold six gallons each. Um, so if I had and a, and a nose tank, which holds 12. So if I'm full up on fuel and I have a passenger, I'm about at gross weight. So I tend to carry quite a bit more than that, but yeah, no, that, that's fair. And so you lived in Alaska longer than you've been flying, but what started your, your interest in aviation? Where did this even blossom from? It actually started when I was a little girl. My dad is a AMP, which is an airplane mechanic. And remember some of my first memories of life are getting dropped off at the hangar that he worked at. He worked at U.S. Airways in uh, Reading, Pennsylvania. And he was the supervisor there for all of the maintenance. He worked as a mechanic for a while and then got upgraded. But it was awesome because I got to come and run around all the airplanes and the hangars. And I remember crawling underneath all the seats and finding all the little wing stickers that (laughs) I used to have and like, and putting them all over myself. And I don't remember this, but my dad told me I would bring them home and just like plaster my room with them too. Um, So I'd crawl underneath all the seats and my brother and I would sneak up into the cockpit and like try to push the buttons and get away with it. And we thought we were so awesome and fly the plane and just make noises. And it was was great. (laughs) I remember being, I I remember loving it. And ever since then, I've wanted to fly an airplane. And it always seemed like it was something that was so far out of my reach. And then once I got up to Alaska, it was just so doable. I could see how people have their own airplanes and fly around and go do these amazing things. And there's only so many roads up here. So if you really want to access Alaska, you need to have an airplane. And so I worked my butt off for a while to try to save up enough money to get my pilot's license and buy an airplane. And uh, eight years after being in Alaska, I bought an airplane and got my pilot's license. That's so impressive. (laughs) It is. I mean, it's funny, like, especially you're kind of talking about once you moved up to Alaska, it's 
it seemed more accessible and more doable. So many people have connections to aviation, and it, and it does seem really approachable in ways that it, it doesn't in the lower 48. And it's sort of um, like people own airplanes all across the spectrum of quality, right? Like I talking with people, I try to explain like, oh, having an airplane, it's kind of like having a, a Sprinter van. You know, you can have this like crappy $15,000, $20,000 Sprinter van, or you can have like the four wheel drive, extra tall, you know, like kitted out custom, you know, and there it's the range from like 20000 to to $100,000. You know, airplanes are similar, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And um, how much your engine is timed out, you know, and all the all the little things too. You want to get into float flying. That's like another expense. But I often tell people that I, th- I think some people are always like, how, how are you an artist and you have an airplane? And I love telling people that I'm like, well, my airplane actually costs about as much as your truck does. So <laughs> <laughs> when they have brand new trucks. <laughs> right, right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> It's funny because, and, and then you also mentioned the, you know, road access in Alaska. Like, I don't know what the, what the actual statistic is, but something just to the naked eye, it, it looks like maybe a, a tenth of Alaska is on the road system, you know, so some very small amount. So I didn't really realize how dramatic that was until really looking at a map and, and really trying to figure out where those boundaries are. But you're right, the majority of the places you can access are or plane only. And there's so many amazing places out there that you can access by airplane. It's incredible. It's kind of, it's pretty mind blowing. I feel really lucky and just that I decided to go for it and but also somewhat cursed because now that I've seen it I can't ever not have an airplane. <laughs> <laughs> not, not be going and doing these things. So do you have any projects uh, on the horizon or a flight or a trip you really want to do in an area you're scoping out? Oh God, so many. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, I don't even, I definitely, one of my goals, and I think this winter I will try is to go on a glacier ski camp and keep my plane there. So that'll be a huge one. Um, just having your plane and having to take care of it and worrying about weather here and storms rolling in and keeping that airplane okay is a whole new level. <laughs> and I think to be able to go on, I've done several ski camps before where I've gone and camped on the glacier for a week or two. And it's great. You make your own little base camp out there and have a little kitchen and your tent and all of that and go ski for the day and come back but how you get out there is an airplane so I think being able to figure out how to go on those camps and have an airplane out there and then just be able to like jump over to the next glacier valley and do something like that would be huge for me because it just brings a whole new level to it of being like, I'm going to have to sleep with that MSR stove in my sleeping bag to keep it warm and going and just all the little things uh, of making sure that constantly stomping out the runway if it's blowing or snowing or any of it, you know, having to keep a really good eye on the weather and just being super aware So that's been one of my goals for a while is just figuring that out, I think would be really cool. And um, as far as places to go, I really want to go check out Icy Bay area and just like stews. Some of the coastal stuff is hard because the weather really moves in and moves in hard. So um, I think going down and going to Icy Bay and then farther southeast of there. Um, would be amazing to go check out. And then also just going and figuring out more places all around in the Alaska range too. The Revelation Mountains, I went out there this summer and that blew my mind. I would love to go back there in the winter. And then, oh, if I ever, <laughs> I say ever, hopefully someday I I will get there where I would feel confident enough and good enough to start flying into the Alaska Peninsula Um, because the weather there just gets pretty insane. And I did do a trip down there with a friend 
where we flew 400 miles down the Alaska Peninsula. And it was so cool. It was one of the best trips of my life. It definitely was something I'll never forget. And But the weather was insane. Like he is a very, very experienced pilot and flies for work down there. And it was still, it was, it was pretty intense. So I would love to eventually be capable of doing something like that. What are the landing options like? And so for people that don't know the Alaska Peninsula, so you're talking about like the whole like Aleutian Island chain? Yeah. or And then and you consider the Alaska Peninsula kind of like till it starts branching out into the islands and then it becomes the Aleutians. It goes down so far before it actually starts branching off into the islands. So the farthest we went down was Cold Bay. What's wild is that if you look at a, at a map, it's, it's basically like the same as flying to like Seattle. Like it, you go far. It is a long way. In a little airplane in the middle of nowhere, worrying about gas and the, and it's like the worst weather in the world. Maybe not the world, but maybe it might be. <laughs> so yeah, it's like the same latitude. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And so what, um, what were the landing options? Like, are there a lot of r- runway options, airports? What, down in that area? Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, not really. Um, right. You're doing like off airport landings and landing on the beach. and. So for, for people that aren't pilots, this might seem really common sense after I say it, but off airport just meaning not a paved runway, just, you know, landing on a, a strip that might be gravel or dirt or on a beach or something like that. It, it seems like a common sense after you explain it, but I had to ask that before I knew anything about <laughs> off airport, so... Yeah, and it might not even be like an actual strip where anybody's landed before. Down there, you're you're not really going to find that many strips. Pretty rare, if any. So yeah. you're just looking at the terrain and judging it for yourself and deciding whether you can land there. So the, one of the th- I always love asking people because everyone has like a little bit of a different version of how they do this. But when you're setting up to do, um, you know, you're picking a strip for a day. So you're the only person <laughs> that's landed there. You're making it your little spot. How, what are you looking for and how are you setting up to land? Again, not everyone's a pilot. So feel free to be as vague as you like. So when I'm when I'm looking for. Yeah, like what makes a good spot? Like obviously you're looking for like not big boulders, not water, you know. Mm hmm. Well, um, to be honest, in the summertime, this is like still a pretty big challenge for me that I'm trying to get better at. Tires are way harder than skis. <laughs> They're really grabby and you can land off airport way easier on skis and be able to spot your landing and do all the things that you need to. It's so much smoother. But so on tires, you're going and you're taking low passes and you're really looking at where you think you want to land and being like, okay, is that level? Level as in, is it bumpy when I hit it? Is it going to send me back in the air? Is it going to send me back in the air enough? I'm not going to be able to land. Is it going to like hurt my airplane? Meaning like bend my gear leg or anything that could go wrong. And, uh, you're, you're looking for how long it is. Okay, I have enough area to land and stop and, and be able to also take off. And then you're looking at spotting your landing and being like, okay, because it's really easy to go on low passes and see that and then go for a landing and lose the spot that you want to land. So yes, that is <laughs> always happens to me. What 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 is the secret to like keeping it? How do you keep that sight picture in your mind? You need to just like pick out landmarks. So pick out things that you know you're going to remember and try to make that a little bit easier on yourself. So you're like, okay, I see this branch here and in between that branch there or there's a hill there and I need to land right after it or there's sand and it goes to gravel. And so what I do is really focus on those details of where I need to touch down at because that's huge because if you don't have a ton of room, you need to touch down immediately so that you can stop. I did have a challenge this summer where I was landing on this gravel bar in a river and I picked out my landing and (laughs) realized that this was the thing. I landed and landed on the right where I want it to land, but the, the mound behind me 
was a little bit higher than where I landed and my tailwheel slammed into it, which is the back of the airplane. There's this little wheel on it and scared the shit out of me, right? <laughs> Just because I wasn't expecting it and it didn't do anything. It was just really rough. So um, there's all these little things that sometimes come into this, this this learning process and you just hope that it's gentle. <laughs> right, exactly. This is where like a little luck and a lot of mentorship come in in the early stages, right? Yes, exactly. There's no way, no way, <laughs> there's no way I'd be where I am now without without my friends that have helped me. You need those mentors. Without those mentors, it's just like a lot of things that you do. You wouldn't you wouldn't get to to where you are. And I've been really, really fortunate. Well and it's it's important to have mentors in all areas of, of life, you know I, I would agree, but there is something particular about aviation. It's not like thimble collecting, right? Like it's dangerous if you, if you don't have good resources, right? Like um, you definitely want to have good people in your corner and good judgment and people that have yeah, had a lot of experience. Yeah. And my friends that have flown with me, I can't even imagine how much I've stressed them out. Just <laughs> like at what point do you pull the controls away you know they like want to let you go for so as long as they can they want you to do it but at what point do they like rip the controls out of your hands and recover you know how bad does it have to get <laughs> right, cause they also want to scare you a little bit but just enough to teach you so you know what it feels like when it's starting to go wrong you know and they also want to let you do it but not have you crash the plane so. right right Wait, did you learn a tricycle gear after a tailwheel? Yeah. <laughs> oh, funny. That's the reverse order of most people. Yeah, I know. That's funny. Once you got in a uh, tricycle gear, you're like, so I just like pull back on this thing and that's it? That's how I take off? <laughs> that's how I land? Yeah, it was so odd. <laughs> it's opposite because you pull back, yeah. right? And in uh, on a tailwheel, you push forward to get the tailwheel off the ground. Yeah. So, I mean, aviation is known for having some pretty especially Alaska Aviation, known for having some pretty big characters, a lot of personality, a lot of big energy around it. How do you navigate making decisions that are good for you or how you handle when once you're in a moment, you know, that is a little squirrely, there's nothing to be done. You're in it. You're committed to getting through it and landing the aircraft. What, uh, how do you talk to yourself when you're in stressful moments and how do you handle other people's like bravado around the whole, the whole thing? Um, well, I try to mitigate the risk that I'm taking for the day by really, really becoming aware of the weather and what I'm doing, um, like what I'm getting myself into is what I mean. So I love looking at the weather. I always have. So just really learning my personal minimums and what I'm comfortable with, especially flying in the mountains. I don't mind turbulence, uh, um, really, when I'm flying over flats. It's not that big of a deal. But as soon as I get in some turbulence around the mountains, it just has me, it's like the hairs on my back stand up quite a bit because I have so much respect for these mountains. They're huge. And I am just ready for it to get even worse. (laughs) It's kind of like, I always feel like I can handle what's happening and I can make it to where I want to go. But I definitely am always really nervous that like, okay, I got this. I got this. And you get, you know, you can get like bucked around and get your ass kicked for a little bit and just like recovering. It's kind of, I explain it to people a lot, like you're, sliding out on a icy road and that's just how you recover from turbulence you just react to what it's doing I think for me when I find myself in a a situation that I'm uncomfortable with I think about what are the real dangers and what do I need to do to get out of those as soon as possible as far as like I know where the winds are I know why this is happening. Maybe what side of the mountain do I need to go on? Or maybe I need to go, maybe I need to um, rise in elevation. Maybe I need to just start ascending and, and get way above. And so any, anybody that knows about rivers too, this is what was really helpful for me when I started learning about flying and winds. 
was that the wind rolls over the mountains like water does in a river. And so if you know which direction the wind's coming from, you can predict where you're going to get updrafts and downdrafts on the mountains. You're going to get updrafts on the side that the wind's coming from, and then on the leeward side, you're going to get downdrafts. And a lot of times, too, it goes off the edge of the or not a lot of times, it does go off the edge, the top of the mountain, and creates this rotor in the back of it, which is like a hydraulic in a river. And so once I kind of started viewing wind like a river, because I love rivers, and I've spent a lot of time, a lot of my life on rivers kayaking, and it just made a lot more sense to me. And then I was starting to be able to fly through the mountains and understand where the wind was coming from, understand the strength of the wind and where there would be updrafts and downdrafts and where I could expect turbulence. And then that made it a lot better. So I was prepared for it. So tell me a little bit about your history with um, boating and, and rivers. Um, so I started kayaking when I was 14. I grew up in Pennsylvania, north of Philly. And um, there wasn't a ton of outdoorsy people there, but I was lucky enough that some of my friends were, and they started to get me into it. And we skied and skateboarded. And uh, one of my friends, uncle and aunt, they were really into whitewater kayaking. So they're like, let's, we'll teach you how to roll in a pool and we'll go take you down the river. And so I started when I was 14, learned how to roll in a pool, went to a river, flipped over freaked out, didn't pull my skirt, and I had to be, like, ripped out of my kayak and swallowed a ton of water and was, like, bawling my eyes out on the side of the river because it was, like, the first time in my life I felt like I was, like, I just used one of my nine lives right there. Like, definitely thought I was dying. Like, everything went really calm and quiet. Everything became really peaceful. Like, at first I was panicking, trying to get out of it, not realizing that I didn't pull my skirt. And then after that, I ran out of air and and then got ripped out of the kayak. And then I was like, I am never doing that again. Like, <laughs> never. That is the worst sport in the world. That is not for me. Like, no way. You guys are crazy. And so I didn't kayak for like four years. And then I was always really into skiing. And my first year in college, I went to East Stroudsburg, which is in the Poconos of Pennsylvania. And I decided that I had, the summer before that, I had this really awful job that was like factory line work of just like putting pieces into a box and like closing the box and I did that all summer long and wanted to one was like this is it was great it was actually a blessing because it was like this is not what I want to do with my life I don't want to do this so I'm going to make something happen so I don't have to do this I just thought the coolest thing would be to like be a river guide I'm like I'm going to be a ski bum in the winter and be a river guide in the summer and that sounds like a great life for me Oh, and a dirt bag was born. It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep, and so I did it. So I signed up to be a river guide in the Poconos, and uh, and then I decided to, with the help of some girlfriends, which were really amazing, decided to get back in a kayak and try it. And then, yep, and now like I don't even know. Over 15 years later, I've been kayaking every summer. And it was a huge, it, I mean, for there before I moved to Alaska, it was one of the biggest things in my life. Like I traveled all over the world, whitewater kayaking, became a safety boater in West Virginia on the upper yacht, was photo boating. That's still one of my favorite rivers. I loved the people there and they did a really good job of taking me under their wing there and teaching me how to kayak. And then from there, I just kind of blossomed into a kayaker and started traveling all over and started safety boating out in Colorado on the Arkansas River, the Eagle River, and Gore Canyon. And yeah, I still do kayak some class five stuff, but I don't really need to scare myself anymore. <laughs> Uh, I kind of, I like the easy, fun class five now. 
what's the easy fun class five uh, the ones that was just like i don't think i'm gonna die on them <laughs> now you just like to scare yourself in airplanes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully my mom doesn't listen to this <laughs> uh, what does your family think about what you do um well they think i'm crazy i'm pretty sure they all still live back east and uh yeah i i think that they are proud of me for following what i've wanted to do and just always going for it um but i also think at the same time they just don't really want to know exactly what I'm doing or at least that's what I like to think because I don't really want to tell my mom I've stressed her out enough with what she knows so (laughs) I think a lot of the time she doesn't even quite understand the things that I do so when I got this airplane she was like oh my god you gotta be kidding me I thought I was getting a baby and now you bought an airplane (laughs) Well, you got a baby, just not the kind that she was expecting. <laughs> yeah. It takes a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Yep, exactly. Man. Yeah, there's sort of this like general rule, I feel like, with many people and their parents that, you know, you, you tell them, you tell your parents afterwards what you did, just not before. Like they can't, they can't handle yeah. sitting at night wondering if you're going to call the next day, if you're going to make it back. Yeah, exactly. What do you think has driven you to just born that way? Like what part of your personality is it that's always pushed you to, you know, boat class five or ski fly in Alaska? And I don't know. Maybe that's the way. I, I don't know if it's the way I've always been. Maybe. Um, I definitely remember at one point when I started raft guiding, I was like, I'm going to be a class five kayaker. <laughs> and then I was like, okay, now I'm a class five kayaker. I just kind of think I get my mind set on things and I go for it. Mm-hmm. And I just decide that I'm doing it. Also, I grew up a competitive gymnast, and I think that has a little bit to do with it, too. When you're tumbling, like, doing flips over, like, a four-inch beam that's, like, six feet off the ground, it's that's pretty insane. And so at a young age, I feel like it ingrained a little bit of it into me. Because then I got on skis, and I was like, oh, well, I can do a backflip, no problem. The skiing part's way harder. (laughs) I already got through the scary part. I landed on my head and my face plenty of times from, like, learning to do a backflip. So, yeah. So, and I think, I do think that has a little bit to do with it. Um, Well, you mentioned this earlier, touched on it briefly, but one of the ways that allows you to have freedom with time, but also... I'm sure has its own joys and challenges is the work you do. You're, you're an artist. Um, what kind of art do you do? I do a lot of graphic art and acrylic painting. Um, but I also love pastels and watercolor and anything that's creative really. Um, I've been a, a graphic designer for the last 15 years Um, That's how I've been able to do what I've done is I went to school for graphic design, graduated, and decided that I was going to be a freelance graphic designer. And at first, it was pretty tough just to get going straight out of college, but I was able to come by a couple jobs that really just made it happen. I worked in-house for a kayaking company, um, and then for a few others, and slowly over the years, um, picked up a enough freelance jobs and in-house clients that I was able to support myself. And through my 20s, it was great. I was just able to make my own schedule and travel around and work from anywhere and still be able to do all the fun adventures that I wanted to do and live where I wanted to and still be able to work um, on the road. And then now that I'm in Alaska, where that all originated from was just that I love to I love to draw and I love to create and paint and more fine art than graphic design stuff like uh, logos and things like that. And ever since I was a little girl, I have loved it. I used to collect seashells on the beach and paint them 
and give them away as gifts for everybody. And my parents always told me that they would leave me with a coloring book and I would be content for hours, <laughs> which was great. They said I was an amazing child because all, all you had to do is like stick some crayons in front of me and I was good. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where it started. And it's been great because since I come to, since I've came to Alaska, I been able to get back to that. I have been so inspired by the beauty of Alaska, like incredibly just, I don't know, it's, it's more of a feeling um, that I feel. And it, I try to relay that onto a canvas or any piece of art that I'm doing. I do a lot of uh, digital art that I create and draw out by hand and then scan it into the computer, redraw it in the computer, and then print it on metal. Um, so I have a bunch of pieces that are like that. And then I also have a bunch of paintings and some pastels um, and they all come from my experiences of being out there and just what I see. Yeah, and in the last three years, I've been able to shift more of my business from graphic design to art. And I just keep going more and more in that direction now. And you said most of your stuff is landscape inspired, so it's mostly landscapes that you're, that you're painting. Yeah, it's a lot of it's a lot of mountains. <laughs> You're gonna be pretty hard pressed to not find mountains somewhere in my paintings. Usually, <laughs> it's just something that really inspired. I respect it so much. They're so powerful. For me, it's hard to not be inspired by them. So, yeah, I love the lines and the the feeling and the just everything that comes out of like your adventures in the mountains. And I try really hard to just take those. I get visions a lot of times when I'm out there, whether it's skiing or flying, hiking, fishing, whatever it is, I will sometimes just stand there and have these visions of how, of different art pieces and then I will try to remember them and come back. Sometimes I'll have enough time and be able to make some sketches of them, but come back and spend some time painting them. And for me, that art is more like a meditation process of where I think I just lose myself in it a lot of times. I'll start painting something and next thing I know, I feel like I have this like blackout so I call it my creative blackout a lot of times where I'll just be like, what just happened to the last eight hours? I have no idea. But then I'll step back and look at the canvas and be like, whoa, well, that worked. <laughs> All right. Or sometimes I'm like, oh, that works, but that part doesn't. <laughs> I'm going to fix that. <laughs> wow. So you actually have stretches that can last hours at a time. Yeah, that's that's mainly what I do. I never really paint for like an hour or two. Because that just is, like, the beginning of the process. That just, like, gets me going. It usually takes me, like, an hour just to start. So, and being by myself, that's huge. I don't, I don't like creating with people around me. I, I'm introverted. And sometimes I'm good at being an extrovert. But really... That's not where I get my energy from. I get my energy from being by myself. And a lot of times the only time I'm by myself is when I create. So it's a huge part of it. I get way too distracted if anything else is involved. For me, it's like the biggest part of me getting ready is being able to shut out the world. Being able to not look at my phone, put my phone somewhere else. My phone is turn it off, put another room. Or a lot of times I create at night because it's the only time that the entire world around me quiets and I can just be. And so that helps me to just like go into the deep um, flow of being creative. Well, and it's a private act to create, you know, so no shock that you want to shut out the world and kind of get into a, a trance state. 
Yeah. What kind of what kind of energy goes into it? Um, the energy that I feel from when I'm out in these places. Mm-hmm. Most of my work has come from a specific place or just being out there and like kind of what it looks like and what it sees. And some of the best compliments that I've gotten is flying around with friends and over the radio, they'll be like, Meg, it looks like we're flying through one of your paintings right now. And I'll be like, yes. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Do you think you'll spend the foreseeable future or the rest of your life um, in Alaska? Oh, absolutely. I, I'm not going anywhere. That's for sure. As far as living, I love it here so much. I've been, I was looking for this place for a long time. I moved around um, a lot. Yeah, I, I came up here just on a, like a 10-day trip and was like, wow, I fell in love instantly and decided that I wasn't leaving. And being a graphic designer, I had my computer with me. So I was like, screw it. Canceling my flight home. Found a place to stay and yeah, stayed up here and then went back in like, I believe it was March or April and grabbed my truck and all my things from Colorado and road tripped up here, grabbing a girlfriend uh, who's amazing. And we loaded all of our kayaking gear and our ski gear and uh, road tripped up to Alaska. <laughs> and, and then I've been here ever since. So, Do you take the um, Alcan or the Cassiar? The Cassiar. Man, I've always wanted to do that one. What is that? What is that like? <laughs> I want to say, I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> because we did it at, I mean, we went and um, so I picked Nicole up from Alta and we were just booking it to Alaska because Alaska was going off that and we wanted to get up here and we did stop in Jasper area I want to say and did some skiing along the way but then we just drove straight through like through the night I remember waking Nicole up at one point and I've never seen the northern lights before this and I remember waking Nicole up and the northern lights were going off and it was like two o'clock in the morning and she was dead asleep because she had just drove the last leg and I was freaking out and I was about ready to pull over and fall asleep because I was like, I can't do it anymore. And then I saw the saw the northern lights and I just lost it. And I drove for like the next six hours because I <laughs> had so much energy from that. <laughs> that. That I just like, she like looked up and was like, yeah, great. <laughs> and I was like, are you kidding me? This is the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, I got you jazzed. I mean, it's that, like talk about art. That's like a gigantic painting, just like the swath of the whole sky. Oh, God, I know. And so I just so yeah, we booked it up here. I like barely remember. And so what do you see the next um, the next sort of chapter looking like? I mean, so you're gonna be painting, you're flying airplanes. If you had your druthers, Meg, what would the next 10 years look like? <laughs> oh, who knows? <laughs> really um but I would say I right now I'm definitely on this uh at the beginning of the chapter of my life where I'm 35 and I want different things than I have before feel like I've been like very adventurous and I know that's not gonna stop anytime soon but or ever hopefully but I think for me, I've been really focusing on one, building my business and just becoming more of a well-known artist around Alaska. And then also, I really want to buy a piece of land that I can build an airstrip on and build a hangar home on. And maybe that land has a lake on it. So I could also be on floats or maybe it doesn't but um that is definitely that's where all my focus has been just in this last little bit is is uh figuring out how to have my airplane at my house and then also at the same time that I've been looking into that I've also been looking into remote properties and now that I have an airplane, it's like, well, I could fly out to wherever I want to. 
And actually, you were with me when I flew, we flew out to uh, go look at that property out at Hell's Gates and off, off a rainy pass. Yeah, that area was awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, I've been doing that. I've been like, okay, what's available? Let's go look at it. Is this practical? What does this look like? Is this where I want to be? And I've been flying out to these areas because um, it'd be nice to have an airstrip where I can land at and have a place on the road system. But my real dream is to just live remotely and be able to go out to this place wherever it is wherever I find maybe two (laughs) who knows but uh and be able to like create art for periods of time and then fly back in and that's that's my dream right now so we'll see that's a wonderful dream I love that your house hunting is like flying an airplane out to look at remote property. Like there's no HGTV show that can touch that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, you know, like the day that we went and looked at it was like from the air. It was kind of windy in that pass too. It was like to the river. It was like, oh yeah, well, the river's got some good white water. Okay. (laughs) It had beautiful white water. That's a gorgeous river. Yeah. Lovely canyon. But I wonder, it's probably that windy back there a lot. I mean, I would imagine. Yeah, exactly. And then then you have to like figure all those things out. You're like, well, the cabin's cool. The airstrip's landable, but it is kind of a nightmare for weather. (laughs) Right. So... And so do you feel like you've found a pretty good community, um, either of aviators, skiers, paddlers, artists, people in your town? What, uh, how have you found community to be for you? Oh, uh, yeah, I think that I love all the, I love Alaskans. <laughs> well, I think Alaskans are great. That was one of the huge things of when I moved up here. I was just like, Alaskans are the best. These are my people. Not only is this my place, but these are my people too. So it, yeah, it's been awesome. Um, the aviation community has been amazing of just accepting me in and helping me in every way they can. Like I've called up people that I don't even know, you know, and I'm like, Hey, sorry. I'm just like, I'm trying to get into this. It's pretty intimidating to own your own airplane. And (laughs) I don't know what to do about this. Like, can you help me? (laughs) Or, you know, like, or do you know a guy that'll weld this or, you know, whatever it is or, and just like also, yeah, everything from like my mechanics here in Girdwood willing to teach me, you know, all about my plane and yeah. Friends willing to help work on, or, you know, do the little things for my plane and like look at it. And I'm learning a lot more now, but just, just knowing whether things are a big deal and not a big deal, like it's pretty serious. And so it's a, it's been a great learning curve and I've had a lot of really good people helping me out in that way. And I feel like there's that, there's those same people all over Alaska and I've met them like throughout the places that I've traveled in my plane and it's been awesome. And then the ski community is so great. Like everybody up here is such a badass and they're so humble about it. And that was one of my biggest turn-ons when I first moved up here. Cause that was like the number one thing in my life at that point was skiing. And it was huge just to be like, Oh my God, these guys are crushing it. And they're not just like boasting about it. You know, it was amazing. I loved it. <laughs> So I think a lot of Alaskans are just like humble badasses. Yeah, and there is sort of a sense of high stakes. Everyone knows how quickly things can be wonderful or really challenging, and they're quick to to lend a hand to avoid peril. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or like you said earlier, having a great day ski flying and going backcountry skiing from your airplane in Alaska, and next thing you know, you can't get it out of there. Or who knows what happens, you know, anything could happen. It can go real bad real quick. And I think everybody's aware of that. And it keeps everybody really humbled and just so grateful for like what the state has to offer and the things that you can do, you know? Yeah, it's pretty humbling. I mean, there's a sense of like no, no ambition could match the opportunity, but there's also a lot of variables that come with it. <laughs> Yeah, like I had a friend that just came up here from Colorado and flew with me and I thought it was great because he, when he was in my plane, he was just like, I can't believe they just like let people do this. (laughs) (laughs) 
that's funny. Yeah, just like you, you mean you can just like have your own airplane and just go fly around and land on mountains and you can just do that. And it's funny because I've heard when I, you know, and talking to people that pilots licenses are so common and you know there's some statistic about you know three times as many planes as people in alaska or something some great statistic like that but basically they're saying that you know there's so many people with pilots licenses in alaska but the funny thing about it is you know everyone fairbanks and south has a pilot's license and there are just as many pilots above into the west of fairbanks but there just aren't any pilot's licenses. <laughs> there are just so many aviators, you know, and they might be better than, you know, this rookie. Like I, the impression I got with aviation in Alaska is everyone was really, really encouraging. Nicole, you got your private pilot's license. Oh, that's wonderful. That's great. You know, this doesn't matter if this it's a, you know, airline captain who flies a cub for fun. They're, they're just as excited for you as, as the next person, but it's sort of viewed as like, you like you're a 16 year old that just got their driver's license like oh yeah good for you but like stay the fuck out of my way kid <laughs> yeah, oh yeah totally it's definitely a thing. so happy for you just like don't fly close to me yeah, oh, yeah for sure <laughs> yeah but but the enthusiasm is there yeah it's pretty funny but um i do think that i i've been just been super impressed by the number of females up here that have gotten their license and I've been able to like be in touch with and Leanne Folly is one of the women that have inspired me the most since I've moved to Alaska from skiing to flying and she is so cool and just like also she's also an artist and just an amazing person and then there's been all kinds of other women that I've been able to connect with too and it's been it's it's amazing there's a bunch of females in Alaska that fly and the what is the statistic for that worldwide like there's like it's like seven percent of pilots are females isn't that it that might be right which is compared to like all the other sports that I do, it's like, oh yeah, there's not a lot of girls. I used to be like kind of bitter about it or just be like, oh man, there's not that many girls or whatever. And then, and then I was like, no, there's tons of girls that do these sports. This is so awesome. You know, like I felt like as I got older and like maybe like just realized or more girls were getting into it and it was like the best thing ever. But then once I got into flying, I was really like, holy shit, this is like really male dominated. (laughs) It's been like the first thing in a while that I've like really realized that. And uh, but it is cool that there is like there is girls up here crushing it and doing really cool things. And yeah, it's awesome. The I just looked it up and it is seven percent worldwide are women um, pilots and yeah, just shocking how many. Um, not shocking. It it shouldn't be shocking, but just really impressive that there are so many women pilots. Uh, it's really much. I I was surprised to see how strong that community is and very pleased. Hopefully, it'll keep going. Yeah. Anybody listening to this that wants to be a pilot, it's very doable. So talk a little bit about that. And and this could, it doesn't have to be specific to aviation, but someone, or it could be, but someone who does have a curiosity about something that seems a little bit out of their reach. How do you convince yourself that it's, that it's not? How do you start? I think you start by really wanting to do it. And a major lesson that I learned in my life from trying different things, whether it was like a different river kayaking or maybe a day that I didn't really want to go fly or the river was maybe too hard, but I felt like I should or something like that. Or it could be a thing that like all your friends are doing it. So you think you should, but maybe you're not like feeling it a hundred percent. I've learned that. Yeah. Just, just don't do it. Like follow your heart. Because those are the times that you're going to find yourself miserable or you're going to find yourself in really compromising, sketchy situations. But I think that if you do really want to go for something, then if there's a will, there's a way. Like, you figure it out and you don't try to go for it all at once, right? Like, that's super overwhelming. You just start little by little and you make yourself a goal and you're like, okay, well, 
say it's skiing this big line. I want to ski that line. There's a line here that when I first came up here, I looked at it and I was like, holy shit. Like that is the craziest, coolest line I've ever seen. That's like in the ski movies. And there's no way I'm ever going to be able to do that, but I would love to do that someday. (laughs) And so I had that in my head for a long time and I made it my goal and it took me seven years to get to it. But little by little, I just like was like, okay, well, I need to start ski touring more. (laughs) I need to like get the legs under me, figure out what I need to do to actually and then slowly, year by year, I was like more and more in my scope of doing. Like, I just became stronger, better of a skier, more competent at assessing snowpack, more competent at my ability to like what my fitness level was hiking and getting out somewhere and judging my skill level and being able to like slowly step up line by line. So, I think the key is is that no matter what you do, whether it's a pilot's license or anything else, you figure out what your goal is, and then you just start taking little steps towards it. Um, you don't have to like go for the whole pie right away. Just go little by little and. Uh, and, and slowly get yourself there. And then when you feel like you can tackle bigger chunks, then go for that. But as far as starting, yeah, just start with the littlest bit you can and then see how that goes. I really like that advice because I think a lot of times, at least for me, I get really overwhelmed if I can't see. I can see maybe step one and two, but I have no idea how to get to step three or four, you know, along this journey. But only as I've gotten older did I realize that sometimes step three or four won't even appear to you until you're at step two. <laughs> it's impossible to see when, once you start. Um, and I think a, a lot of us have the the challenge where if you can't visualize how something is done, you don't want to take the first step in doing it. But maybe that's that's what separates some people from others is being willing to take that first step, even if you can't see every um, stepping stone along the way to get to the goal. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like with your pilot's license, you can just go take an introductory flight. Right. That starts. I think my biggest thing with no matter what I'm doing in life, I'm trying to set a healthy habit, you know, like right now I'm trying to be like, okay, don't wake up in the morning and look at your phone right away. Like wake up in the morning, drink some water and do some sun salutations. I used to be really good at that and I got off that habit. And so I've been trying to like figure out how to come back to it. And, uh, I've been taking some Ayurveda classes and just doing things that have made me realize that it's like little by little, just start with little. Like my goal is like, I'm going to wake up every morning and do 10 sun salutations before I look at my phone and before I drink coffee, you know? And so it's like, sometimes in the morning, it's like, I don't want to do that. And so then that's really hard. It's like my mind starts going and I'm like, I got to move on with my day and do whatever. But I realized if I start little by little and start building that habit so that that habit becomes better, like I've been just waking up in the morning and being like, okay, and being like two sun salutations, that's my goal. And being like, that's so little that I can't not do it. It seems so silly. And if I'm, and if I'm even like, I don't want to do t- two sun salutations, and I'm like, okay, at least like three deep breaths. <laughs> if I can just take three deep breaths and like ground myself and just sit there with myself for three deep breaths, that takes like, what, 30 seconds? Um, not even a minute? Like, I can do that. So it's kind of just about like starting somewhere. Yeah, I, I love that too, because I think we do get kind of, well, I'm using the collective ubiquitous way. I oftentimes, like I get discouraged if I, if, if I'm not going to do, you know, 20 sun salutations in the morning, like why do any, you know, but that's, that's not how it works. In fact, (laughs) and and the reality of it is if I woke up and took three deep breaths before I looked at my phone or, you know, had caffeine or did whatever the first thing is, I would already be in a better place. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's really becomes down to the point where you like start to feel silly when you narrow it down that little um, of being like, I 
I can take three deep breaths before I look at my phone. That's ridiculous. And then it's all about like starting to build that habit so that you do two sun salutations and then maybe you do five and then maybe you, then maybe you get back for me to the habit that I want to be at where it's like 10 sun salutations every morning. Cause it just makes me feel so much better about myself and my day. And it starts my day off like way better than when I wake up in the morning and I'm just like, scrolling through my phone mindlessly or like already looking at my emails and getting stressed out or you know it's like uh, yeah so I think as far as any goal that you have it's just trying to start somewhere oh Meg this has been awesome thank you thank you so much this has been a really pleasurable conversation I feel like I got so much from it too like really cool images of Alaska learned a lot about your art and um, yeah, some cool philosophy in there too. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so people who want to learn about your art or follow your adventures, what's the best way to like keep in touch with you or just learn more about it? Um, I would say that Instagram is the best way and my website and those, I have, I'm kind of bad at Facebook, but if you're into Facebook, I try to put <laughs> <laughs> some of the stuff up on there. But yeah, I have a personal page and a business page under Instagram. And my personal page has all of my adventures and my um, business page has all my art. And what are the um, names? What are they under? At Meg Lynn Smith is my personal one. It's And then um, at MegSmith.art.design is my business page on Instagram. And then my website is megsmithdesign.com. Awesome. Any uh, any parting words? On <laughs> <laughs> the spot for that one. Uh, <laughs> well, my my personal quote lately has, or my personal um, mantra lately is, um, it's been to write my own book. Like, don't listen to what these, like, books on relationships or marriage or life or anything like that, that is uh, kind of these set ways that you think you should be. My personal vision lately has been to write my own book. And in that, I have a quote on my computer right now that says, set your own true north. Mm. And so I think if I was going to have any parting words, <laughs> those would be it. Meg, that's awesome. I love that. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for thanks for joining. I hope we um, we should circle back and do this again. I want to hear more stories and where the art and the flying has taken you. Um, after a chunk of time, it'd be great to circle back. Yeah, I'd love that. Awesome. Thanks so much, Meg. Have a great rest of your night. Thanks, you too.